This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A Athletics. It's up Welcome to another edition of Wildcat Country, Eric Cohen and Shane Dale on what is generally a quieter week as University of Arizona sports go. You know, football is kind of in their downtime until August. Basketball, we're waiting on uh, the commitment of Ty Ty Washington where he decides to go next week. So pretty much baseball and softball, Shane, are in the spotlight. Yeah, and we got a couple of top 10 teams. We had a consensus top 10 baseball team for the first time this season. Wildcats have won uh, nine in a row going to their game against GCU. Uh, they win that one. That's uh, two 10-game winning streaks uh, on the season. And then the softball team also ranked in the top 10. And both teams with big top 25 showdowns this weekend. Well, Shane, we're talking to the greatest head baseball coach in the history of college baseball. Well, at least, you know, as you knew I would say, right? Because I can't help myself as far as uh, effusive praise for any guests that we happen to have on the program. But very excited to have friend of the program, Jay Johnson, joining us here on the show, as well as our buddy, who I will now call the greatest public address announcer who has ever lived, Jeff Dean, the voice of Arizona Stadium, McHale Center, and the San Francisco Giants in spring training up in Scottsdale going to join us. We're going to break down Tommy Lloyd. We're going to break down what's going on with Jed Fish and I'm sure uh, Adia Barnes' new contract and plenty else. So a big time show coming up first. But Shane, this baseball team looks like the real deal. And I I think the key for them is going into the game on, on Tuesday night, they were like 20 and six at home. So the key for the baseball team is getting that that uh, regional, the regionals at home, right? You would think uh, home field advantage would make a significant difference for them in June in the NCAA tournament. Well, it looks like they're on their way. Uh, last week, I haven't seen the projections for this week, but last week, Baseball America had them projected as the number four overall seed, which would mean they not only host a regional, but also host a super regional. So you have to think they're on their way to doing that. Uh, the softball team already got approved to host a, a regional at Hillenbrand, so we've got that locked in. Uh, the baseball team looks like they're on their way as well. Uh, hitting's not a problem for this team. Baseball team has seven uh, guys right now uh, hitting over 300 for the season including uh, Jacob Berry, uh, down the road here at Queen Creek High School, uh, who is batting 400 going into the GCU game. That's which pretty is not, good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, Not bad. Not bad. I mean, you know, he can't even get a, get, a, get a hit half the time. So, you know, I don't know how good it is, but, you know, it's not terrible. Not terrible. So uh, this is Jay Johnson's best team in Arizona since his first year, easily, and maybe his best period. I'm looking forward to chatting with him about that. The hitting's there. The pitching has been there more recently. You might recall their last loss a couple weeks ago was 21-2 at Washington State. But since then, uh, pitching's been much better. So I, I you know, the old cliche, defense slash pitching wins championships. I, I think they're starting to come around that department. they still got a month left in the season. But the hitting's not a problem. I think that the, the rotation has to stabilize a little bit overall. And I think we've seen that. Uh, starting with J- uh, Chase Silseth, their their ace, who has been fantastic and had a great start a few days ago. You know, we talked about this a lot during the women's basketball season. You know, is it a disappointment if, you know, and we could say the same about softball, and I'm sure we'll talk more about them going forward. But since we're having Coach uh, Jay Johnson on here shortly, the I think the question is, if the Wildcats don't make it to Omaha, based on how they have started the season, and we're almost we're only one month to go in the regular season, is it a disappointment if they're not in the final eight? It's all a matter of uh, what have you done for me lately, right? You know, a few weeks ago, no, not really. Now, yeah, yeah. You think back to the women's basketball team. And then uh, before the season, we were thinking, okay, this could be a final four team. And then going into the NCAA tournament, we're thinking, uh, you know, maybe Sweet 16, because they were struggling a bit, especially on offense, kind of the opposite of the uh, of the baseball team. And then, of course, they get to the Elite Eight. They're, they're, they're playing a, a four-seed Indiana team, and you think, well, they got to get to the Final Four now. So at this point in the season, I think it's a little harsh to say it would be a disappointment. I, I certainly expect a super regional appearance. 
I think to be one of the final 16 teams with a chance to get into the College World Series, I think to me that is the baseline for this team at this point. And I would say it was really the baseline going into the season as well. You know, when you think back just for a second uh, about the women's basketball team, how improbable that run was, you know, they lose to ASU on the road in their final game. It wasn't really a great ASU team as, as Charlie uh, Turner Thorne teams are. Uh, then they lose in the second round of the Pac-12 tournament to UCLA, who, you know, made a run. I think they made, what, uh, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, something like that. But this wasn't a team going into the tournament that really, I mean, we, we said Ari McDonald's going to carry them, and they make it one shot away from a national championship. I mean, that's improbable. The baseball team, regardless of what happens from here or there, they're going to have higher expectations going into the postseason than we saw from women's basketball. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. And you know what's interesting, Eric, is it seems like, you know, going back to the 97 men's championship, a lot of Arizona athletic programs, championships or near championships come from out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, but surprising. You wouldn't expect it. You know, the, the Arizona men's team in 97 beating three one seeds as a number four seed and winning the whole thing. Uh, the baseball team under Andy Lopez, I think it was 2012. They were not a great team all throughout the season, but they peaked at the right time and went on and won the whole thing. And Jay Johnson's team a few years later kind of did the same thing. One hit away from winning the whole thing against Coastal Carolina. The women's and golf let me team throw one in there. Ago, that that and what about 2007 women's softball where Taryn Moat nobody knew who Taryn Moat was next thing you know she's sure. winning an ESPY award for for throwing a thousand pitches in uh, in Oklahoma City right and then like I was just going to say the women's golf team a few years ago they were not the top seed going into that tournament as well and and then you have the women's basketball team which I to me may be the most improbable of all because like we've talked about Eric it's really difficult to pull off upsets in the women's NCAA tournament. They just aren't as common. A three seed getting to the final four is rare. So the baseball team, maybe they're going to fall in that category. They're, they're definitely not going to take anyone by surprise. They're one of the best hitting teams in the country, maybe the best, but they're peaking at the right time. They've been, you know, top 25 team most of the season. This is the first time all year they've been a consensus top 10 team. And I think the only thing Jay Johnson's probably upset about is the fact that regionals don't start tomorrow. I think we need to do a, sh a show uh, one time, Shane, about, you know, the best postseason runs ranked in our lifetimes uh, from the Arizona uh, athletics teams. You know, obviously the 97 basketball team is going to be number one. But after yep. that, who's next? Is it this women's team? It was their run number two. Is it, an, is it uh, the men's team in 2001? Is it the baseball team that you mentioned in 2014 with, uh, with I think it was, was it 2012 or 2014? My, my, it was 2012. Uh, 2012, okay, where they won the national championship. So it'd be fun to kind of talk about that and go from there. But uh, before we go any further, it's time to talk to the best baseball coach in all of college baseball, in my opinion, and that's Jay Johnson here on Wildcat Country. know that uh, we, we knew going into the year that the Arizona baseball team was going to hit but what they're doing right now is actually ridiculous I mean this is what what we're seeing in, in 2021 is insane 30 and 11 15 and 6 in the conference nine game winning streak 20 and 6 at home and now consensus top 10 among all the baseball rankings baseball America collegiate baseball perfect game d1 baseball USA today coaches poll 7 8 8 9 and 10 just insane coach Jay Johnson joining us once again here in Wildcat country Always appreciate it, Coach. We knew you'd have a great team, but this good hitting-wise, where did this come from? <laughs> good to be on with you guys, first of all. Um, yeah, I'm very proud of our, our players, and I think a, a kind of unique, awesome blend uh, has happened here with the offense. Um, we have two of the best freshmen in the country, you know, in terms of uh, Daniel Susak and Jacob Berry. Yeah, we knew their talent. You know, we had to fight hard to keep them – uh, from professional baseball in the draft last year. They obviously bring a tremendous amount of talent, you know, to our lineup. I think we have a couple players, you know, Brandon Bossier, uh, Ryan Holgate, you know, we're pretty much everyday players in 2019 on what was the best hitting team in college baseball that year. They utilize that experience well, as, as well as the 15 games that we got last year. And then there's another kind of crew of players that I'm really proud of, you know, Dante Williams, Jacob Blass, Kobe Cotto, you know, Blake Paul was in there for a while, uh, four-year players that we don't normally always get four-year players, but because of COVID, the shortened draft, uh, we just have a great blend of young talent 
experience and, and guys that have used their time here extremely well. And it's kind of all come to a head right now. And, and they're just taking a relentless amount of quality at bats. And it's, it's a lot of fun to coach that. So coach, you mentioned, uh, uh, like Eric alluded to, you've got seven guys batting over 300 for this team right now, including one of the top freshmen in the country, uh, Jacob Berry, who went to high school a few miles down the road from me in Queen Creek. He's batting 400 at the moment as we speak right now. Uh, tell us a little more about him. I knew you, you knew he'd be good. Did you think he was going to be this good, this fast? Wow. Um, you know, I did know we had a special hitter. Um, it was actually interesting when I first got video on him as a young, young high school player, I looked at it and I was like, this is different. Like this is a, a really good swing, really good strength, really good balance looked like he had all the pieces and it was one of those immediately after I watched it, I got the ball in, in motion of us really recruiting him hard and, and had to work hard. I mean, it was a, a probably a year, year and a half process. Um, he ended up choosing us over Stanford and Arizona state. And uh, I just knew as we were in that battle that that was going to be an important one. I did believe he could play early. I think it'd be unfair expectations to put on any incoming freshman that they would pr produce it the way in the way that Jacob has. And what's impressed me most, we knew he had strength. We knew he had the type of swing we wanted. It's very simple. He's a good switch hitter from both sides of the plate, but his maturity has impressed me. I mean, he's very unflappable. And, um, you know, one at bat does not turn into two bad at bats very often. And I just think he shows a tremendous amount of maturity. And when you add that maturity to his physical skills, then it really is not much of a surprise that he's doing what he's doing. All right, coach, let me back up a couple of weeks. Uh, when your team went up to Pullman and lost that series opener 21 to two since then, as of this recording, cause I know you got GCU on Tuesday night recording before then you've won nine straight one away from your second double digit winning streak of the season. What's been the difference since that game? Did you make a big speech to the team after that game? Or is it just a mindset of this team having a short memory or what? You know, it's funny you ask that. I've actually been asked that a lot. Matter of fact, Sunday after we came back and won the two at Washington State, my dad was like, call me like right now. He's like, hey, great job winning and all that. But I, I want, what did you say to them Friday? Like after right. that game? And honestly, you know, it was very simplistic in its nature. We walked out in right field. I said, hey, look, I've been doing this 20 years. I've never been in part of a game where we've been beaten so soundly like that. Okay, so like, there's some shock kind of involved in that. We didn't accomplish very much on the baseball field today. So we're going to go back to the hotel. We're going to do a two and a half hour study hall session because we need to get something productive out of today. We're going to come to the field an hour early tomorrow, and we're going to practice on Washington state's practice field before we take our original batting practice. And we're going to get back to work because the game tells us we need to get better right now. And then we're going to focus on today. And, and today, meaning Friday, has no relevance in tomorrow unless we let it. And we're not going to do that. And we're going to be very simplistic in our approach, knowing that we need to get better. And we've really just stuck to that. And uh, I think one thing that's unique about coaching this age of player is they do have very short memories. And so um, that's a real positive thing. I know it sometimes bothers coaches that, you know, a loss might stay with me all night and I might not fall asleep till 4.30 in the morning. It's actually really a good thing that the players are not built that way. Well, Coach, uh, first of all, Shane, this is why I said on the podcast why, we, why Coach needs a lifetime contract. I love that kind of coaching. I just want to say that. You know, I have to throw in my, in my little uh, extra tidbit there. Coach, every time, asking, Eric. Every, every time. time. You, you knew it was going to happen. Coach, uh, one thing that's fascinating to me about college baseball is pitching. Now, if you're Vanderbilt and you have two – consensus top three picks in Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker makes life pretty easy for a weekend series. For you guys, it's been a little bit tougher, but Chase Silseth has been fantastic. Tell us what he has meant to not only the rotation, but the overall pitching strategy that you've had this season. Yeah, he's meant everything. I mean, he has his professional baseball stuff. Um, I do think he'll be a good draft pick. That's easy to see. It's, you know, 93 to 97 on the fastball. He's got th four pitches that he can throw at any time. He throws them all for strikes. I think the separator for Chase is he's just the ultimate competitor. I mean, if we're doing a conditioning drill with the pitchers, he wins it. You know, his uh, preparation, uh, he looks like he's 
it's Monday to, um, today and he'll throw a bullpen today, that bullpen will look like it's Friday night. Like he's getting after it. Last Monday when he threw his bullpen, I knew he was going to, it's like, he's out for blood this week on, on Friday. And I think he threw seven shutout innings. And the only reason I didn't let him finish the shutout is because, you know, we have important things ahead of us. We had a huge lead and it's also my responsibility to protect his, his arm. Of course he wanted to stay in the game and, and finish it though. He just got that it factor and um, knows how to handle adversity and bounce back. He had a tough outing early in the year against Oklahoma but I left him in there because I thought we were going to score and he could buckle down and he did. And we ended up by the time we took him out of the game, we were winning and we were down like nine to three. Um, you know, so I, I think he's, he's got that it factor that you don't see in, in kids nowadays. And, and there's nobody better from a makeup standpoint that could be starting us out on Friday. And he's a really good pitcher too. So he's meant everything to us. It's, it's probably the best pitcher. I mean, Friday starter we've had in my time here mm-hmm. It, it simplifies a lot of other things because you know what you're getting out of him in terms of keeping us in a ball game on a Friday. Now, when you're talking about it, putting together a bullpen, though, that has to be so tough on a yearly basis, you know, rotating which guy is going to be my stopper, which guys are going to be my, you know, late inning uh, relief, relievers. How, what's, what's your kind of construction theory when it comes to putting together a successful bullpen? Yeah, I think you. a lot of coaches believe in, in very set roles. I don't. I believe in out collectors. Like, you have to get 27 outs. And you can win the game sometimes in the third or fourth inning. And even though we're probably at the top of the country and run scored, like all approach situations, like we're not going to score again the rest of the game. And so the game maybe need to be won right now. And uh, Coach Yeski has been great to have. He does a great job calling pitches it's allowed me to focus on the pieces a little bit more and where they fit and setting guys up. And, and we communicate really well on that. And I think we've done a good job of setting guys up to be successful in collecting outs. And it doesn't matter. Like, like I said, the game could tip in the fourth inning and you may see one of our better guys in there at that time. And you go like, Oh, it seems kind of early, or we might be able to hold off and, and leave, leave somebody like Vince Vanelli toward the end of the game and, and, and use them as a true closer you know, it just, what does the game call for that day? How do we match up best? And we just really try to operate like that one game, one inning, one out at a time. Jay, I know this is going to be an easy question, but I got to ask you anyway, try to compare this team to your first at Arizona that came a hit away from winning the whole thing. Any similarities between the two? I think there are. And I think the one that has stood out is both had enough success early in the season like what I remember about that year is we won our first series at Rice, who was a preseason top 10 team. Um, and that really built a lot of confidence for those guys. Then we won a couple games at the Tony Glenn Classic, had a home win against Cal State Fullerton. And that team played with a lot of belief. The best part about our team right now is they think they're really good. And, and that is a good thing. That There is no arrogance. And when I say that, because they also value what it takes to be successful. They've shown they can take one on the chin and respond. So I think the confidence is the, the most similar thing. I think they're constructed completely differently. Um, that was a good hitting team. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's not the same kind of uh, doubles, homers, you know, machine that, that this team has been to this point in the season. We were very good on the mound that year. And uh, in the bullpen, in the starting rotation, we played very good defense that year. I've seen some of those things kind of be similar. You know, you mentioned Chase Silseth. Um, he reminds me a lot of Nathan Bannister, not in terms of pitching and stuff, but the production that we're getting on Friday that can simplify the rest of the weekend. And that's a big thing, was a big thing for that team. Um, so I think they're both very confident. Um, I think personnel-wise, little bit different, um, some in good and some in, in I'm not, I won't say bad, just different. And, um, and that's okay. You know, I, I think that's our job as coaches is there's always more than one way to skin a cat and just got to find the right one, right razor, I guess. You still have almost a month's worth of games to go before the postseason. I'm sure part of you would just love to get in the postseason now while you're on a roll, but is there anything in particular you'd like to see this team improve upon collectively before the postseason com- uh, comes around? Yeah, I think we've played really good complementary baseball in terms of offense, pitching, defense, energy, base running, all of those kinds of things. I think 
the consistency in approach and I just haven't been down this road before understanding that the only complications that the game presents are the ones that you put on it and really not attaching anything to the game other than what we need to do to be successful. And it's very difficult in the society we live in today to not do that. They have shown a great discipline for that. And I think that's the most important thing. Like we're going up to Stanford this weekend and they're having a good year. We're having a good year. Like we're going to enjoy that opportunity. There is nothing negative that will come out of that weekend. You know, regardless, we're going to be okay. And so framing it in a way of like, man, how awesome is this going to be? I mean, we didn't get to have this series at High Corbett last year. You know what I mean? And we've had some real battles with them. We get to, we get to do that. And that's just what I want to see the, the, them feel and how, how they play the rest of the way. So, Coach, there are two types of social media posts that, or Twitter posts that I will like every week. It's anything that comes from Wildcat Country, obviously, that, that Shane puts out. And number two are your team pictures after wins. How did that come about, and what has social media meant in terms of recruiting for you? Good question. I mean, how the picture came about is when I was at Nevada, I just – that was a different – takeover in terms of taking over that program versus coming here. And I wanted our players to really value winning and nobody ever wants to hear this, but it's really hard to win one division, one baseball game. And I want to create any program that I'm in charge of is they have to value winning more than the opponent. Then if they value winning, they're going to respect what it takes to actually get that result. And then if we've done that, then we've accomplished something. And I want them to enjoy that accomplishment on that day. And so taking that picture is basically a celebration of the accomplishment of that day. And then flipping it into social media, you know, recruits want to be a part of, of good programs and winning programs. And so if that's front and center on Twitter or Instagram or all of these kinds of things, whether it should matter is a different discussion because I'm, I'm very much substance over image, but in the recruiting world that we live in, it matters. And so we want to keep that in front of people that this is one of the best places in the country to play college baseball at. So we had you on a few months ago and, and we talked about you and Jed Fish uh, recruiting. Uh, first of all, Jed Fish has a great social media game as well. Uh, and you guys have been recruiting the same prospects. Have you uh, worked any more on that, on the dual recruiting efforts? And have you gotten to know Coach Lloyd uh, since he was introduced uh, as the new basketball coach? Uh, with Coach Fish, he came out and threw out the first pitch, uh, the Sunday game against USC. And uh, it was kind of funny. Like, I, I'm very much in, like, my mode getting ready for a game. And I, I, I feel bad. Like, I, don't, I didn't even see it because I was looking at Alex Cornwell, the starting pitcher for – USC in, in the bullpen, but had a good conversation with him that day um, and uh, really appreciate the process that he is, is going through in terms of building his program. Um, I thought the spring game excitement was excellent. I think they're recruiting hard. He has a staff full of good energy. Um, so I'm, I'm behind him 100%. I'm excited for where they're going, you know, in working with him relative to a, a recruiting thing right now uh, they're on the right track in terms of how they're doing what they're doing and that's exciting you know what I mean and uh, um, I'm I'm behind him 100% as far as coach Lloyd I have not got a chance to meet coach Lloyd yet and out of respect for when you take over a program especially a program of that magnitude that guy's calendar is probably pretty full right now <laughs> and it's probably more important that he's getting to know those players and and getting us a point guard or a power forward that they can do really good things as opposed to talk to the baseball coach. But when we play Washington, he's thrown out the first pitch of, of the opening game of that series. And I'm excited for him. I have some uh, basketball coaching friends that know coach Lloyd and I've talked to them and, and they just big time stamp of approval. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Coach, I got two more questions for you. And again, we really appreciate your time. This is your second time joining us on the podcast. Uh, first time you did, before the season began, you talked about uh, how difficult it is to, to play baseball without fans. And now you've got fans back, at least some of them. What kind of difference do the fans make back at high corporate for you? 
it's amazing. You know, that first weekend against uh, Ball State, nobody was in the stands. And, like, I kind of tried to prepare myself for that by watching college football games and college basketball games. And when you watch it on TV, it, it didn't feel a whole lot different. But when it's your team out there and there is nobody out there, it was, it was very strange. It was very strange. And then we started to introduce, like, a player guest list. And then it turned into this amount. And then now we're increasing that. Uh, Derek Vandermeer, uh, our associate AD, senior associate AD, has done a terrific job with, with helping us build that back up. And uh, the energy in the ballpark the last two weekends, it felt like normal. I mean, we had an unbelievable student turnout. Like, I mean, I'm buying tickets for any student that wants to come watch Arizona baseball for the rest of the season because it was amazing the last two weeks in terms of what type of energy they provided um and uh you know just our fans in general we have a unique deal here that i don't take lightly this is one of the only places not the only but one of the only places on the west coast where you get that big time sec type environment and it's a big home field advantage so i know it's getting hotter but we want to keep keep getting those butts in the seats and, and continue to play well at high corbett all right my last question for you i we are all inspired by the women's basketball team's run a incredible run back one basket away from, from the championship. I'm sure you could relate to that a bit. Uh, what has you and your, what have you and your team taken away from that run? Have, have, have you used any of their success to maybe motivate this team in any way? Not entirely, but admiring it a hundred percent. Like I remember, I think it was the elite eight game. Uh, I got a chance to like watch that whole game. Like we had an off day or something like that. And like Ari McDonald, like, I mean, I'd seen them play and I'd seen her make moves and this and that, but watching her for 40 minutes, I was in complete disbelief. Like I've never seen one player impact a program so positively than her. And so they make the final four. And then I got on the phone. I was like, Hey man, she's got to throw out a first pitch whenever they get home. Like I, this has to happen. Like I'm not going <laughs> to blow you guys up for much and this and that, but I, I have to like, I have to see this person and tell her how amazing she is. Like, and it, it was awesome. She was out here. We had a great time with that in the, in the ASU game that we won. And um, that was great. And then with Adia, it's just like, it's just amazing. It, it's amazing to see, the trajectory and the progression of what they did. And it's, it's very inspiring. And I did reach out to her several times throughout the run, just in text messages, knowing how busy she is. And when they lost, I said, Hey, look, <laughs> I actually can relate to this very well. Right. And the pain of this is not going to go away, but you have to step back and realize what you just accomplished because it is remarkable. And I couldn't be, couldn't have more respect for that program and what they've accomplished because it literally is amazing, you know, and uh, having been able to relate to that kind of where we started out here and then seeing them do what they did is, is beyond impressive. Well, coach, once again, you're doing a fantastic job. We really appreciate you taking some time joining to join Shane and I and uh, best of luck throughout the rest of the year. And hopefully we can talk to you before Omaha, you know, it'd be great to, to do this once again. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, appreciate being on with you guys. And uh, if, if we do get uh, get that trip, uh, might force you to get out there and do a live show or something. Always great to talk to Coach Shane. He is uh, just a really cool guy and uh, really enjoys coming on with us and, you know, really is not one to shy away from giving honest answers. And it's great to have, you know, all the platitudes that I give about, you know, Coach Jay Johnson. That's great. But he's just a good guy. And we're glad to have him on the podcast. And, uh, you know, just he, he seemed very optimistic about this team. And basically, from what I heard, anything short of at least an Omaha trip is a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, and full disclosure. Now we're now recording after the GCU game, so we do know that Arizona did win its tenth in a row. So two uh, ten win ten win game winning streaks for the first time I want to say since the seventies, since the uh, the Gerald Ford administration. So not too shabby. Uh, it just, to me, it's just a matter of keeping the pitching up. You know, the hitting's there. Uh, they're number one in the country in a number of uh, hitting categories, including batting average. They're up there in a lot of others. Pitching is kind of hit and miss. 
but definitely better since that Washington State game we talked about, the 21-2 to game. Uh, relief pitching has been great, and it, it really is by committee like Jay Johnson talked about. So they can keep that up. They're, they're going to be Omaha-bound. It's easier said than done, but they should be able to host a regional and a super regional if they get that far. Yeah, I think the, the question with this team is, if you can you out-hit teams every game? I mean, yep. can you win every game 10-8? I mean, I guess you could. Uh, you really – I mean, Jay Johnson's going to have some ulcers probably uh, as, the, uh, as the next month and a half go along. But with this team, I mean, they're going to hit against anybody. You know, maybe not the, the Vanderbilt starters, but outside of that, and they won't have to worry about them until Omaha. Uh, this is going to be a team that's going to be real tough to beat. So uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk to Coach uh, as they progress in the postseason. We won't, we won't bug him. But, hey, you never know. I mean, we had Sam Thomas on uh, – you know, before the, uh, for the tournament. So you just never know how that's all going to shake out and uh, wishing uh, the uh, baseball and softball teams a lot of luck, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Shane, uh, against top 25 teams uh, this, this weekend on the road. What else is going on in the other U of A sports that are playing right now? Well, want to mention our men's and women's golf teams. They're both postseason bound. Uh, the men's team, fresh off winning the Pac-12 championship, got the number four seed, in a regional taking place in Washington beginning May 16th. They finished in the top five in that event, which is a 54-hole, three-day uh, event. Uh, they'll move on to the NCAA championships the following week in Scottsdale, your neck of the woods, Eric. At, at Greyhawk, yeah. I, I played the course where, they are, where they're doing the titles. It's awesome. Good, good. And then we got the, the, the women's golf team. They're also going to stay out west. They're going head, to head to Stanford as the number six seed in their regional, which, uh, which begins on Monday. So best of luck to both our men and women golfers. Uh, also want to mention our men's tennis team advanced to the 64 team NCAA tournament field. Uh, they received a visit from noticed tennis pl- noted tennis player, Jed fish mm. after learning they would be in that field. Uh, so uh, coach fish talked to the team. Uh, no surprise. They were going to be in the field. Uh, they finished the, the season ranked number 18 nationally. They're having one of their best seasons in the last 40 years. They will face Michigan in their first round matchup in Lexington, Kentucky. Ironically, isn't that the last uh, one of the last schools that Jed Fish coached at? He knows both well. He knows both yes, very well. He, yes, I'm, he does. I'm sure uh, officially he'll be rooting for the Wildcats. In that. I, I would think that Jed Fish has been a great uh, ambassador for Arizona in his time here. I mean, he's really embraced it and, you know, rooted on the other teams, went to San Antonio for Coach Adia Barnes. Yep. Speaking of Coach Barnes, uh, she got a healthy raise, healthier than we originally expected. Why was that, Shane? Real quick, Eric, I want to mention, oh. our, I want to give a shout out to our beach volleyball team. They finished okay, yeah, just yeah. short of the NCAA championships. They finished ranked number nine nationally. They were left out of the 18 field, but great season for them. Hopefully they'll build on it next season. As That's a bunch as, of garbage, by the way. That's gar- um, How do you only have eight teams in there? Why not 16? They, they might've been the ninth team, unfortunately. That's trash. But uh, anyway, but great season. Congrats uh, to coach Steve Walker and their team on a fantastic run. As far as Adia Barnes, yeah, her second uh, significant pay raise in, in about a month or so. You might remember about a month ago, she received a five-year contract extension worth about $3.34 million. Well, Arizona ripped that to shreds and just gave her an even better one, a uh, five-year, $5.85 million deal, so almost twice as much. Possibly not a coincidence. This news comes after Baylor's coach Kim Mulkey vacated that position to go to LSU. Arizona wanted to lock her up, kind of maybe the same way that the Arkansas did with Eric Musselman uh, before the Arizona hired Tommy Lloyd. But be that as it may, uh, Dave Hickey and Robert Robbins uh, prioritizing women's hoops at Arizona big time and undoubtedly hoping to see a significant leap in ticket sales next season and beyond for that team. Well, I think, I think you will. I mean, this was a team that was one basket away from the national championship. And Adia is, is an absolute star. And we will talk more about Adia with our buddy Jeff Dean coming up here on the podcast in a moment. But uh, switching to men's basketball, Ty Ty Washington's commitment is May 15th. So we'll find out if Arizona gets its point guard of the future then. Uh, but they lost someone this week, lost Jordan Brown, a former mm. five-star who had transferred from Nevada. And he is going to, I think, Fresno or He didn't announce, did he? I haven't heard yet. I, I heard, heard Fresno State is going to be like one of those teams in the Mountain West is probably uh, where he's going to end up, okay. it looks like. Yeah, disappointed to lose Jordan Brown, lose that, that depth in the, uh, in the front court. But if it's not a right fit, it's not a right fit. I mean, I, to me, pretty much what you would predict with Tommy Lloyd in terms of the roster has happened. He's been able to keep some guys. Some guys have decided, this, you know, this isn't for me. I want to move on. He's bringing in, uh, he brought in one transfer. Hopefully he's going to bring in a couple more. There's still quite a few spots open. And then Ty Ty Washington, it kind of sounds like it's between Arizona and Kentucky, just based on whatever. It's six teams 
uh, on his official final list, but it really sounds like just, and I have no inside information on this, just but I'm, based on what I'm reading, it sounds like Arizona and Kentucky are the, maybe the final finalists for his services. Well, if he wants to play a lot of minutes, Arizona's probably it. And he's got a, a talented team around him, but Kentucky could be a national championship contender. So it wouldn't shock me either way. I just, you know, with, with five spots to fill on that basketball team, I really wonder the, the strategy for Tommy Lloyd filling out that roster. Now, he's got nice pieces in Creasa and Matherin and Tubelis and Coloco. Uh, that's nice. Um, but what's next? And uh, I saw that uh, Shane DeZoni, former Arizona commit, now committed to Vanderbilt. So good for him. Jerry Stackhouse, former UNC star, uh, coaching over at Vanderbilt. Nice, nice get for them. And I, I mean, it's late in the game. I mean, we're in May and trying to fill, uh, you know, a, a, your backup five, let's say. It's uh, not easy. So I'm kind of curious, especially if Ty Ty does not come, makes me worry a lot because who's your point guard? I mean, I guess Kirk Reese could do it uh, and that'd be fine. But then you're very, very thin without um, without knowing right now. I, I don't know. I guess it's too early to panic. But uh, let's talk to our buddy Jeff Dean and see what he thinks about everything uh, Tommy Lloyd, Jed Fish, Adia Barnes, and much more here on Wildcat Country. Shane, earlier in the show, I described him as the greatest public address announcer to ever live, and I will stand by that. We're very uh, we're very pleased to welcome the voice of the Arizona Wildcats at Arizona Stadium, McHale Center, and probably many other places, Jeff Dean. So, Jeff, thank you, as always, for joining us, and it's great to hear your feedback. I'm, I'm just uh, excited to hear a bunch of, uh, you know, your thoughts on everything that's gone on since we last talked to you, which has been a while. First of all, let's talk about the major change uh, with the basketball team in that uh, Sean Miller is out and Tommy Lloyd is in. What are your initial thoughts on Tommy Lloyd? And the second part of that question is, what do you think of his ability uh, thus far to re-recruit players to Arizona? Uh, you know, it was, it was a bittersweet day for me when Sean got let go. Um, it was obviously very difficult. Sean was somebody that I've worked with for the last seven years. I considered Sean a friend. Um, just because of conversations that we've had, um, times that we've spent, and just kind of the way, you know, he goes about his business. He's a, he's, he really is a friendly person, um, you know, if you're not wearing a media badge or if you're not a player. Um, but, uh, you know, so it was a bittersweet day to, to find out that Sean had been let go. There was a lot of writing on the wall, but it was just, you know, that moment when the notifications start hitting your phone and, and you realize that it's over. Um, and at that point, I think everybody knew also what the next move was going to be for the athletic department and for the university, and that was going to be the hiring, hiring of, of Tommy Lloyd. Now, interestingly enough, um, I have a really good friend who actually lives in Tucson now who played for Mark Few at Gonzaga, and he and uh, Coach Lloyd are really, really close friends. And I was actually – I had breakfast with, uh, with this gentleman a couple of years ago, and we were just having breakfast, and we were talking basketball because that's all we ever talk when we're together. and he was, he was just talking about Tommy Lloyd doesn't get the respect and all this. And, and then the article came out, I think like three months later uh, saying that he was the, the best uh, assistant in college basketball. Um, but you know, what my, what my friend basically told me is that Tommy Lloyd does a lot more for Gonzaga basketball than people let on. Like Mark few is, is the figurehead, obviously the head coach and Mark few does a great job there, but it's Tommy Lloyd's program. It's, you know, it's kind of generally felt that, that he's the one that that is, you know, moving the moving the the gears and the cogs. Um, he, he's their lead recruiter. He's one of their best strategists um, when it comes to X's and O's and things like that. And he really keeps Mark on task. So um, it, it's it's a real boon to be able to get somebody like Tommy Lloyd. I mean, I think this is uh, it's absolutely a home run hire. Uh, Jeff, Eric, and I have debated this on this podcast, but I'll ask you as someone who knows Sean Miller pretty well. What should Sean Miller's legacy at Arizona be? Boy, that's a great question. Um, you know, Sean produced a lot of NBA draft picks. Uh, he brought in a lot of great players. And unfortunately, it, it's that whole transition period that when he took over where the one and dones were really becoming a lot more prevalent. And it's unfortunate that the NBA still has that kind of stranglehold on college basketball where 
coaches have to spend time and money and resources recruiting a kid who they know is only going to stay for a year when they could be spending their time and resources on players who are going to stay in the program for three, four years and really develop. And because that's what coaches really want to do. Coaches don't want to play, uh, don't want to re- recruit a guy that's going to play for one year and teach them how to play college basketball and go to class and things like that just to have them leave. Coaches want to develop players. They want to see players grow over time, at least the coaches that I know. And, and, and as far as Sean goes, Sean would have much rather, Sean would rather have a two-star that stays for four years than a five-star that stays for one. That's just, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, he's, he's a coach's coach and he loves to, he loves to, you know, to, to develop kids and turn them from high school players into professional players. You know, conversations that I had with Sean about several of the players that we had, Lowry Markinen, DeAndre Ayton, you know, guys that we talked about, you know, Sean would just tell me, he's like, he, he, don't, he don't belong here. He doesn't belong in college. He's an NBA player right now. There's no reason that he should be here. Um, and he was right. He wants spots on those rosters for, you know, for players that he can develop. So I think that, that, when it's all said and done, I think when we look back, there were some great early runs in the tournament, obviously some huge wins um, for this for this program. The, the losses in the tournament to Wisconsin were devastating, I think, to, mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of things, to, to the fans, to, to Sean and the way that he approached things. Um, you know, I think that, that overall, when you look at the success that he had in his winning percentage here, he was able to uphold the standards that Lou Dolson had set before him. And I think that's what's important. I don't think that he did anything to degrade the program um, any more than, than, you know, what we're experiencing now. I don't think that there's, I I saw a, an article, I think it was Dennis Dodd yesterday or the day before talking about how devastating Sean Miller was for Arizona. And I just, I, I, I completely disagree. Yeah, plenty of conference championships, tournament championships, a lot of big wins over top 25 teams. I know, you know, goal one and one A are, you know, championships and final fours, and he didn't do that. But I, a lot of that context is needed, though. But let me look forward to uh, Tommy Lloyd's tenure. And I, not a ton of surprises for me so far. We've seen some guys opt out. Some guys are sticking around. He's already gotten a transfer. What are your thoughts on how this roster is taking shape next season, including the possibility of adding such a great point guard like Ty Ty Washington, who's going to make his decision very soon? Yeah, May 15th, Ty Ty Washington is going to make his decision. Um, I, if you had asked me eight months ago what I thought about Ty Ty Washington, I would have a very different opinion of what I have of him today. Um, I, I felt like Ty Ty Washington had a lot of growing up and a lot of maturing to do as a human being. And based on people I've talked to over the last several weeks, he's done that. Um, he's kind of changed the way that he goes about his personal business. Let's put it that way. Um, so I would be very excited if Ty Ty Washington joins the program at this point. Tommy Lloyd, as with any head coaching change, you're going to have turnover with players. And certain players, we could kind of see the writing was on the wall for certain players. You know, Jordan Brown went into the transfer portal. I'm surprised it took him this long, to be honest, because he's just not Tommy Lloyd's style of player. You know, Jordan is a, you know, a low post guy. He's going to, you know, plant two heels in the paint, count to three, step out, plant two heels in the paint, count to three. If he gets the ball, he's going to the, you know, he's going to put on some kind of a move like a Euro move or something with a soft hook or something like that. You know, Tommy Lloyd wants guys that run, stretch, run the baseline, go corner to corner, pop out to the top of the key. You know, he wants athletic bigs, big guys that, that are going to stretch uh, and really move around. And, and that's, that's, that's not Jordan Brown's game, and that's fine. Jordan Brown needs to go find himself uh, a place where he can get minutes and where he can use his skill set. Um, I was real happy to see that Kirk Risa is sticking around. He's Me an too. electric player. Um, when you watch him in practice, it is <laughs> – it's – He's a lot of fun. Um, he is a he is one of the most fun players I think I've seen in a long time. So I'm excited. You know they got five open uh, five open spots right now, five open scholarships for the program right now, and I don't think he'll have any trouble rounding those out. All right, Shane's gonna roll his eyes when I ask this question, but I can't. I've been waiting to ask you this for months, Jeff. <laughs> but I'm gonna change it up with Tommy Lloyd. Where do you rank Tommy Lloyd in Jeff Dean's rankings of Pac-12 basketball coaches? Uh, and, and how would you rank, let's say, the top five? 
Uh, I mean, I, I would have to put Tommy Lloyd at 12. He doesn't have any con- – he doesn't well, have any wins as a head coach. Based on what you would expect from him. How about that? You know, you're going to put him ahead of – you know, would you put him ahead of Mark Fox or would you put him ahead of Kyle Smith? Probably. Or, or, or Wayne Tinkle, Eric's favorite. <laughs> I, I have a lot of respect for, for a lot of the coaches in this conference. Um, and I, I, I really don't – it's really difficult for me to say where I would slot Tommy Lloyd in there because I just don't, we haven't seen him as a head coach. I think his potential is Dana Altman levels. Wow. I think, I think he has that kind of potential. I mean, he's coming in, he's 46 years old. He's getting his first job. um, And he's been at a high level program for a long time now. So I think his potential is, is Dana Altman and and maybe even higher. Um, You know, there are, there are a lot of quality coaches in this conference and I think, that has that has shown because the the Pac-12 has um, has put more players into the NBA than any other conference over the last five years, and I think that's something to really hang their hat on. So, I, I, you know, not to disrespect any of the coaches here. I mean, there's only there's only one coach in the whole conference that I absolutely do not like, uh, mm-hmm. just on a personal level. And we know who uh, that is, but yeah, I'm sure you do. Yes. Um, but the you know the the other I think the other eleven personally have earned my respect as a, as, as good quality coaches. Um, I think Mark Fox does a fine job. I thought Kyle Smith did a, did a fine job this year too. And, you know, he's very difficult. And I know Sean and I had a lot of conversations about Jared Hass and Sean respects the hell out of, out of Jared Hass thinks he's hmm. one just incredible coach. And man, they had a team this year and they just couldn't stay healthy, you know, and not to mention the, the, the travel problems with COVID and quarantine and in, in Palo Alto and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of quality coaches. I think they proved that with the run that everybody, you know, the teams had in the, in the tournament this year against other great coaches. Um, so to put Tommy Lloyd somewhere in there, I, I just couldn't do it. I just have to put him as one of the 12 with a high ceiling. I was just hoping you'd say Wayne Tinkle, then Dana Altman, and then, and then my list would have been complete. All right. No, so- no, I, I listen, I love, I love Wayne. I love Wayne. And uh, I have a really good friend who's the SID for Oregon State basketball. I've known him forever. And we were talking when they came to Tucson. And he and I both practically at the same time said the same sentence. Wayne is doing his best coaching job of his career this year. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It just, it just, you could just feel it, you know, the way they were playing. And Arizona beat, those te- beat that team by, what, 43 aggregate points this year, Something I think. Like that, like yeah. That. So, yeah, um, you know. Let me ask you, which which run in March Madness was more surprising to you? Was it Oregon State's run to the Elite Eight, UCLA's run to the Final Four, or Arizona women's basketball's run to the championship game? The most exciting was Arizona women's basketball. Sure, but which is the most surprising to you? Um, I think the most surprising win overall was the women's basketball win over UConn. Okay. Just because Gino Ariema just wins in the postseason. He wins tournament games. That's all the guy does. Um, he, he's, he's incredible. They put an incredible program together there. They are a juggernaut. Um, and for a team who just played in the NIT last year to go into a final four setting and play against Gino and the Huskies and beat them and beat them pretty soundly. I mean, never, tra- would, yeah. would never try to wire, wire yeah. to wire. And, and, you know, that's, I mean, that's a dominant victory. I think that's the most surprising one of all. Um, the most surprising win of all time. I really wasn't surprised to see UCLA go to the final four. We knew how talented they were. Um, I got to see them up close, obviously, this year. They're, they're big. They're athletic. They can shoot. They get streaky. They play defense. They're tough. You know, Mick Cronin really gets them, you know, playing his style of basketball, which is tough to do with four- and five-star recruits. These are the, they're the best that's talented, most talented roster that Mick Cronin's ever had in his career. Um, so I'm not surprised they went to the Final Four. Oregon State's run, though, was uh, inconceivable. Um, I had them winning. I picked every Pac-12 team to win their opening game in, in, the, in my tournament, in my, in my uh, bracket this year. And after that, it was just great. And Oregon State kept winning, and they kept winning, and they got favorable matchups. And they started to believe, and they were hitting three-pointers, and they became dangerous. Um, it was, it was a miraculous run. I take my hat off to Wayne. Did a great job. All right, Jeff, let's pivot to football. And before we get into what your thoughts on are on this year's team and Jed fish, 
want to ask you what it, what it felt like for you as the PA announcer to actually call a game, albeit the spring game, in front of fans again. I think it had been over a year since you'd actually been able to call a game with fans in attendance. How did that feel for you? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. That was by far my favorite part of the entire day was to be able to see fans. And I actually was able to go down afterwards onto the field and talk to some people that I hadn't seen or talked to in a long time. Um, so that was, that was awesome to have fans in there, to have the Zona Zoo. You know, there was a thousand kids. When I, when I got there, when I got to the stadium, I got there uh, about two and a half hours before kickoff. And there was already a thousand kids in line outside the zoo entrance. They were just standing there and they had a pep rally going on and they were handing out, uh, you know, waters and stuff like that and cheering and things like that. It was, it, it felt like nothing I've ever experienced before at an Arizona spring game. Um, it was a complete 180 from anything that I've ever seen. And I've been to a lot of them because um, I used to go as a fan before I was, before I was even working in the department. So it was, it was refreshing. It is a, a sign of things to come, I think. And if you, if you look at ticket sales, it's showing. We're going to have fans in the stands come September 11th. So very excited about that. And I thought um, that the team put on a good show. There was some logistical issues between, you know, things that are behind the scenes that people wouldn't really recognize that were very different um, that we'll have to get used to for this upcoming season. But um, other than that, I thought it was fantastic. It was great. How much time did you get to spend down there? Um, I was there for, I was there Friday and Saturday. Okay. So what are some of your biggest takeaways? Just even some behind the scenes stuff that we don't get to see as far as the makeup of this team, your thoughts on coach fish, anything that, that maybe just to get fans more, even more excited about the season. I have, I have never seen it. This is, this is my takeaway from spending two days down there. Just, just two days. I have never seen more effort put into every level of what a football program should be than what I saw in those two days. And I'm talking about not just quality of play on the field and quality of players and quality of coaching staff, but I'm talking about marketing. Um, I'm talking about things that you do that get people involved, uh, fundraising, um, attention to detail that I've, that I've never seen before. You know, they, they, you know, before any of this all even started, they went out and hired like the number one PR team that does like these YouTube videos and they hired them and they said, you know, we need to, we need to make some sizzle here. You know, they spent a ton of money and they said, we need to make some sizzle here. And the, the company said, okay, what we need to do is we need to break a world record, break a Guinness world record, something and do something. And they did. I mean, it, it was, it was, you guys saw it. It was all over the news. It was everywhere. Yeah. Rob Gronkowski catching a ball from a helicopter, 630 feet above the stadium. Uh, it was amazing. And the, the attention to detail, and it's not, it's not just a, it's, it's not a, a glory, uh, you, you know, like a glory hounding situation. It's not, Hey, let's put ourselves in the spotlight. They're trying to make a name for themselves, not only in the state of Arizona, but in, the United States of America. They want Arizona to be a destination for student athletes who want to come and make a difference and have some fun doing it. All right. So what you saw on the field though, um, I, I'm going to ask you what I always ask you every time we talk to you. All right. They, they play 12 game regular season games next year. What is a realistic win total based on what you are expecting from this team? And I know a lot of guys that are going to play this fall weren't there. But what would you expect uh, based on what you believe is on this team? You know, it's, again, it's, it's one of those things that you just, you don't know. It's, it's like, the, it's like the, the big Christmas gift under the, under the tree that's got the special wrapping on it. Right. You're not sure what it is because, you know, as a kid, you'd ask for certain things and, you know, you've opened your gifts and all of a sudden, you know, all the things that you asked for, they're on your list to Santa Claus are there. And now there's this huge box sitting underneath the Christmas tree that's got your name on it and everything on your list has been checked off and you don't know what's in there. Um, it may be something great. It may be something that you never asked for. Um, but it's, I, I think it's important for the fans to manage their expectations this season. Mm -hmm. um, that's the most important thing. This team is going to go through a lot of growing pains. 
this team was, and I don't have to, you know, I don't have to tell anybody, but this team was flat out awful last year. I mean, just awful. And in my opinion, it had very little to do with the quality of the talent on the field. I think if now that we have a coaching staff that gives a damn and are willing to work with these kids and coach them up, we have the talent, I think, to win somewhere around three or four games mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being beat by seven touchdowns six times. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think four, I think four wins would be would great. Be, would be fantastic. Yep. Um, you know, you look at the schedule, it's not an easy <laughs> schedule. It never is. Um, I just think that, that somewhere in there, there's, there's, there's going to be a confidence booster that's going to give this team uh, a little bit more of a jolt than I think what we expected. So, you, you know, so a, lot of teams, a lot of people are saying one win or two wins. I, I mean, possibly, you know, depending on if injuries set in and things like that. But I, I think three or four wins is more realistic. You know, going back to the Stoops and Richrod days, every it seemed like every year Arizona would beat a ranked team at home yeah. uh, that they shouldn't beat. And I feel like Jed Fish is going to do that in year one. He's going to beat a team that nobody gives him a shot for. And I think it's going to be the shot in the arm that we need going forward as a fan base and as a program. Well, we're going to avenge the loss at the end of last year. I tell you that much. I guarantee we're going to win that game. Whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't even ask for a bold prediction, Eric, and you just got one. We're going to to win that football game. We're going to win the Territorial Cup this year. Now, ASU could be the best team in the Pac-12. They could be. We're going to win that game. Wow. It wouldn't be be the first time that we've beat ASU when they were the best team in the conference. No, it it wouldn't. Um, True. (laughs) You're you're a braver man than I am, Jeff. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see it, but – up in Tempe, we'll see. He's gonna he's gonna pull out all the stops. Yeah, uh, I, I I mean, I you know what you know what Jeff, I did I did send him cop, a copy of both my books, so hopefully that'll uh, that'll inspire him in the team. Awesome. We'll I, I bet you know if 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 I know from you know from what I know about uh, about Coach Fish, he'll probably read those. Uh, let me get last question for you, Jeff. Appreciate your time. Good catching up with you. Uh, yeah, going sure. back going back to the uh, women's team, Adia. Barnes getting another another big uh, race or second in I guess about as many months. Um, your overall thoughts on Adia and what she's meant to the program, and I'm sure that you heard just like we did in the stands the ovation that she got when you introduced her before that spring game. She's a she's a, a walking movie star on the campus. Um, you know, I've seen her a couple times on the campus, and she just gets mobbed by people. They're you know, coach, coach, you know. And, you know, everybody wants to talk to her. Everybody wants to congratulate her and pat her on the back. And she's earned that. Um, you know, and Shane, when you and I started doing Wildcat Country several years ago, we had her on the show. And, we did. And it was in her second season as head coach. And, you know, she was on a recruiting trip. And, uh, you know, we wished her luck. They, won six, they that won six games that year. They won six games. They won six games that year. We wished her luck. They won six games. And they were a, a shot away from winning a national championship after winning the NIT championship the previous year, the meteoric rise has been absolutely stunning. Uh, you just don't, you don't see that. Um, and granted, when you have a player as unique and electric as Ari McDonald, things like that are going to happen. You're going to be able to catch lightning in a bottle at, at times. Um, but, I, you know, and, and this team may take a step back a little bit next year, but it's just to reload and get ready again for another another run probably in two years so um yeah she's she's gonna be our coach for a long long time and i'm very happy about that let's hope so the my last question for you jeff and we shane and i talked about this earlier in the show uh arizona's run to win the national championship with men's basketball in 1997 was was by far the crowning achievement for athletics at the school where would you put uh, this run by the women's team to the championship game uh, after the UConn win, um, after beating them in the Final Four, where would you put that amongst your top Arizona Wildcats moments? Man, you know, Arizona's cashed in a lot of championships in sports. There's been a lot of World Series championships for that baseball program. The softball program has been one of the greatest um, since Mike Candrea took over, probably in the history of women's college so- softball. Um, there have been Final Fours. There have been Fiesta Bowls. And, 
it, man, that's really, really difficult. I, I think, you know, you just, you just put it up there with, with all of the great runs that, that have been had by Arizona basketball, just period. Um, you know, I mean, it was obviously record setting for the women's side and the men's side has been there before. So I think you hang that banner up there with pride right next to those men's final four uh, uh, appearances and you hang it up, you know, as a runner up national champion runner up right next to the national championship banner that the men's have, you know, and I think, I think they, they deserve to, to stand side by side. Well, Jeff, it's always great to have you on. You, you're a beacon of knowledge when it comes to a lot of things, including Arizona sports. We really appreciate it. Shane, we had an awesome show. Jay Johnson uh, joining us, uh, the best baseball coach in all of America. I'll say it again. Uh, we're very lucky to have him here at Arizona. Thank you. Eric. <laughs> it's, it's true. Uh, thank you to both him and Jeff. What a, what a great show. Uh, for Shane Dale, I'm Eric Cohen. Thanks for listening. And as always, bear down. Bear down.